Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Good morning. Here we are, further along into our Just 10 series. This morning's subject is anger. And for the biblically astute among you, you'll be thinking, anger's not in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder is in the Ten Commandments, but to not be angry is not in the Commandments. That's because being angry isn't wrong, and we'll get on to that in a moment. So this morning's subject, subject is anger, and I'll explain a bit more why it's uh, the subject when we get on to our first verse. But let me begin with a story. A couple are sitting down to dinner in the evening, having a bit of conversation about the day, and uh, the husband says to the wife, you know what, love, he says, I've been in a really bad mood recently. I recognise that for the last few weeks, Every evening, I've come in with a face like thunder. I've not given you any kind of kind remarks or done anything nice for you. And I've been really quite off with you. And the wife says to the husband, I know. He says, well, you've been really good about it, says the husband in return. She says, well, I have a way of working that through. Oh, what is that way of working it through? She said, well, after we've had dinner and I recognize that you're still in a grump, I go upstairs and I clean the bathroom with a toothbrush. He says, does that really help? She goes, yes, it does. It's because it's your toothbrush. (laughs) Let's put the first passage up, please, Helen. Okay. Sometimes we get angry. In Matthew 5, 21 to 22, Jesus said this. He says, you're familiar with the commandment, do not murder, which is part of our commandment series, but I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Now, it will take me a few moments to explain to you about what Jesus means there by anger, when we, I'll need to get into some later passages for you to fully appreciate. But just to highlight really what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that anger per se is wrong. We know that the Lord is slow to anger. God does get angry about stuff. The word that Jesus uses here is the word raka. It's a nice word if you want to kind of roll the R. Raka. And what he's saying by picking that particular word for anger is saying that if anyone gets the point of using insulting, derogatory types of anger, basically if you were to stand up uh, to someone and say, you're a stupid, no good fool, and you were to level that towards them, that's the kind of anger that Jesus is condemning. Now we'll see for some later passages, there are times when even in the New Testament, Paul gets angry about some stuff and some prophets get angry about stuff too. But we'll see that their type of anger is different because they're angry about a situation rather than coming to a place of judgment about somebody and wanting to tear them down. And what Jesus is saying here is if you get angry about 
people in that kind of way, it's tantamount to murdering them. Maybe not murdering them in the conventional way, but of course just murdering them in your own sort of heart and mind. You're assassinating them through your language and the way that you're talking to them. So we need to be able to, as Christians, learn what it is to manage anger appropriately. Because we know from other passages about what I said, uh, that God is slow to anger, and other people in the Bible do get angry. It's not wrong to be angry, but the Christian needs to learn how to manage their anger appropriately to bring their emotional life in line with God's character and the Scriptures. Right, now the next slide, please. So part of this sermon now is going to be a little bit more seminar-like rather than sermon-like, but we'll get on to the more sermon bit later. And so I'm going to follow fairly closely what is on the screen. So, you know, make sure that you've got your glasses on if you need them to read what's going on. Now, what I want to do here is to allow you to understand a little bit of the function of anger for a person. What does it do? We're created in the image of God and so our anger or the capacity that we have to be angry is a God-given emotional resource. It's something that God by design has put within the body of people to serve a good cause. And there are three things I would offer to you that anger does. One thing it does is that it enables us to guard the things that we love. I remember um, probably a couple of years ago now when uh, Tobias was just a, a, a wee small toddler, able to stand but not able to walk. We were running a cafe for our life church and this guy came in and he was quite chatty, nice, a little bit odd but aren't we all? And um, he said, oh, would you mind if I held your son? And something rose up in me and went, no. <laughs> or yes, I do mind if you uh, want to hold my son. And he was quite taken aback that I kind of denied it. I don't know why he should be taken aback. Some stranger I'd never met wants to hold my fairly young child. It's a no from me. But there's an instinct within us that wants to guard the things that we love. And one of the functions of anger is that God has put it within us to have a sense of righteous defiance to want to guard those things that he's put in our lives that we value and that we love. So it has a merit for us to be able to guard. Another thing is that it helps us to attack injustice. As a church network, we have been supporting hope for Justice for many years, which is an anti-human trafficking organization. And um, one of the functions that they will do is occasionally through direct action, they will rescue kids that have been trafficked and they'll bring them to a point of safety. Now, whenever you hear of a child who has been trafficked, there's something that rises up with you and says, this is wrong, it needs to stop. And that's an anger, an indignation within us that recognises that something wrong has happened and our response should be to do what we need to do or can do in order to address that situation. So that there's a sense in which when we see injustice or a need for justice, there's something within us that is compelling us to respond. So it guards and it attacks, attacks and it also 
fortifies. It also helps you to set a, a, boundary, a boundary. If any of you have got young kids still or remember the time when you did have young kids, there's a part of that development between siblings when they decide that they don't want to share their stuff. So when you have one child with one toy and the other child wants that same toy, they go over and say, can I have the toy? And the other child says, no, you can't have the toy. And then you have to work through the, the fallout that comes about as a result of that child setting the boundary. And they don't tend to say it gently. They don't go, no, I'd prefer you not to borrow my toy. Well, they might say it sarcastically in teenage uh, uh, season. But it's, th th there is a strong no that comes there. It's a boundary. It's a, this is mine. This is what I value. I'm protecting this. This is the line and you can't cross it. So anger has this function to defend and to attack, and to also to set a perimeter, to set a boundary, to guard, to put a wall or a line that you, you say you can't cross. So it has a very healthy function. And in fact, the way that God has designed the body to do this is really fascinating. What happens is when your eyes and your senses recognize there is a threat or a need for justice or a need for a boundary, your body begins to send signals up through your spine into your brain to a part of your brain uh, called the amygdala. And in the amygdala, it decides, okay, we're going to have a situation here that's going to need anger to be the response. It sends a signal to a part of the brain called the hypothalamus that begins to release uh, uh, the chemicals in the brain for adrenaline and for cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. And then it begins to it actually take away blood from your stomach and redistribute that blood to parts of your body where your muscles and your legs are, which is why you get that feeling in your stomach when you're uh, feeling triggered by something that is, is, is danger to you. It's because your body is positioning you to run or to fight. And so all the blood is then going to the muscles because you're going to need those to either to leg it or to attack it. And so it's taking the blood away, putting it into the parts of your body that are necessary for you to respond to what is coming against you. So your body is working in a way that supports that happening. And when, when we begin to realize the beauty of God's design, we recognize that he's done so much good in giving us anger, but we need to learn how to manage it responsibly. So the next slide, please. But managing it isn't that easy. Put your hand up. No, don't put your hand up. If you lost your rag today. Actually, yeah, put your hand up if you feel that you've lost your rag today. Anyone? Anyone lost their rag this week? Losing their rag is, is slang parlance for your tempers getting overflowing. Anyone lost their temper this week? Oh, okay, good. We're going to pray for all the other liars in the room. <laughs> A well-known professor of psychology called Jonathan Haidt works in New York, the business school there. He says this about the unwieldy nature of anger. He says, anger in the brain is like a rider on an elephant. The rider is your reasoning skill and you, the elephant is emotional anger. You may think that the rider will steer the elephant because it has a bit and a bridle. That's... Um, using language from riding a horse, the bit and the bridle are where you sort of ride and control the horse. So you think you're connected to it and you have the capacity to control it. But in reality, the sheer size of the creature will take the rider where it wants to go. 
And the rider will then have to convince themselves that the direction in which the elephant went was their choice all along. So we think that the part of our brain which is rational and logical and reasonable is controlling the elephant, but so often it's the elephant that's controlling our reason, compelling us to go this way and that way, and we're wrestling with this beast within at times when it's telling us that we want to speak our mind. This person deserves a piece of my right mind right now. They've crossed a line, they've done something so bad that I can't hold it back any, anymore. And then we tell ourselves these little platitudes like, I'm the type of person who doesn't suffer fools gladly. I'm a truth teller. I'm not that type of person who can just overlook when someone says something crazy. Now, that might be true from time to time, but on other occasions, actually, what we're doing is we're trying to put a positive spin on the fact that we can't control our anger. We have spun the narrative in our mind like a skilled politician, trying to make it sound like what we're doing is utterly defendable and reasonable when really the fact is that we've never learned to control our emotions. Because controlling our emotions is something that we have to develop. It's not a natural sort of corollary with our age. What I'm saying is that just because you're older doesn't mean that you're going to be better at controlling your anger. What happens is we just enlarge our ability to be able to try and justify the fact that we do get angry. But emotional maturity takes practice. Okay, now, here's some examples of good and bad practice in the Bible. So the Bible offers some good examples of its proper use and its misuse. So Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, O God, are merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the passage I referred to at the beginning. So we know that God does get angry. And it says, when Moses approached the camp, in the story of, of Israel, Moses lead them out of Egypt, he approached the camp and he saw a calf and the dancing. What happened was, for those of you who don't know the story, Moses had gone up a mountain to meet with God. He comes down and then he finds that they, the people of Israel have got tired waiting for Moses to come down and decided to make themselves other gods. They melt down the jewellery that was given to them as they exited Egypt, it was helping them, going to help them set up in the, in the new world that God was giving them, and they turned it into false gods. And his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Now, the narrative doesn't say that Moses was wrong to do that. But just notice what I said earlier on, that the anger here is not so much just at the people, but it's an overflow of his frustration at the situation. So he isn't lining up every Israelite one by one going, you're a stupid idiot, you're a stupid idiot, you're a stupid idiot, you're a stupid idiot. Now he might have wanted to say that, but in the narrative what's happening is this anger is an overflow of the fact that he is frustrated that the God he knows and loves and serves and values that is a sense in which he wants to defend the honour of God. So the defending part of Moses is coming out here. And he's attacking the injustice here as well. It's unjust because God has just brought them out of Egypt and they're only out a few weeks and they're already turning back to the idolatry that they knew. So he's attacking the injustice. He's wanting to defend the honour of God. So it's a sense of righteous indignation. He's not lining up people and telling them a piece of his mind. 
The next verse here, Galatians 3.1. Paul says to the church in Galatia who he felt were going back to the principles of legalism that he'd hoped that they'd left behind them. He says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Again, Paul is not picking out individuals here and condemning them. There are times later in some of his uh, letters where he does pick out people like Demetrius and Hymenus and, and others where he says that these guys are up to no good, you need to just back away from them. He's setting a boundary. So that anger is doing that boundary work again. But he's, with a sense of injustice, he's wanting to guard the, 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 the work of the gospel in these people's lives. And that brings out the anger in him. And there's nothing here to suggest that Paul was wrong to do that. Okay, so that's sometimes when we see anger used in its proper sense. Here is some example, here are some examples of anger being used in its negative sense. So in this in the Proverbs, this is a hot-tempered person starts fights, and a cool-tempered person stops them. So there's a sense in which the anger here is God is out of control. It's moved from just being angry at a situation or a person to wanting to inflict harm upon them. They're not in control of their anger. And so it's picked out here as saying that this is a misuse of anger. If you can't control your anger to the point where you're picking a fight with someone, that's different to, so for example, a, a guy in the street wanted to grab your ch child and you wanted to rescue them. That is an appropriate response of anger. But when you're just like, I don't like what you have to say, so I'm going to punch you in the chops, that is a wrong use of anger. Another proverb here, 1429, people with understanding control their anger, but a hot-tempered person, sh uh, hot person shows great foolishness. Again here, the, the sense of the verse is saying that if anger is out of control in you, in, in you, it's not confined to a situation or a set of circumstances where there's an injustice, then there is something in you as the person who is getting angry that is out of control and therefore is a, 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 an indicator that there's some foolishness or there's some underdeveloped character in you. Last one here. The proverb writer says, better a dry crust eaten in peace than a feast in a house filled with fast feasting and conflict. So the, the writer of Proverbs here by tradition Solomon is saying, you're better off having a, a meager meal where there is calm and no conflict than to be feasting in a place where everybody's at one another's throats all the time. Understand that when you're in an environment where anger is not controlled, and when there is conflict that is abounding and people have no sense of boundaries, they're just doing what they feel, saying what they think, speaking their own mind without a filter, you're better off eating a crust of bread by yourself in the garden than to be in the house with people living like that. And there is a wisdom to that. Particularly going back to what I said about the way the body responds to anger, if you're around people that are angry, your threat response will feel triggered as a defense mechanism against their anger. 
So what happens then is your body is saying, okay, there is a threat situation. The response to that is that we take blood from the stomach, we put it into the muscles, you're either going to have to fight or you're going to have to go and leg it. And then cortisol is released, which is actually a, a way that the body uses to kind of numb the pain. But it's also the stress hormone that basically kind of makes you all tense and kind of worked up as like you're ready to either punch someone or just, you know, do something. But if you're going through that and there's no outworking from that, you're not running or fighting, you're just existing in an environment where there is threat all the time, you are constantly triggered, triggered by somebody's lack of boundaries and your body's permanently pumping cortisol and adrenaline into your body and you're not doing anything with it, you're just sitting there all wound up. And it's not actually working itself through your body. And those types of people, are they the people who sort of grow up with long-term stress issues, depression issues? Because all of that pressure is built up on the inside and isn't worked out as the body has designed it. So what are we going to do? Okay, the first thing we're going to do to address this is... You need to learn that anger is very often the incorrect response. I said it's often there, but I would actually say very often. 30, per, uh, 30 to 50%, depending on the individual, roughly speaking, of anger is a misplaced emotional response. What is happening is that because anger is a, a situation which subconsciously feels triggered by situations that may or not actually be a threat type situation, often people feel triggered to anger when their emotional response shouldn't have been anger. Maybe the emotional response should have been sadness, or maybe the emotional response should have been a kind of a, a, a humility on your behalf to try and just offer an apology. But because the, by the time we get angry, something in our mind has already been triggered to tell us that's the right response. So by the time you're angry, your brain has already justified that that's the right response when it might not be the right response. You're piecing together the reasons for why you're angry after you've been triggered to be angry. So the anger exists before your mind has had chance to decide whether it's right or wrong. And by the time you're angry, have you ever told an angry person that they're being unreasonable? They don't, they're not going to listen, are they? Me either. I don't listen when someone says, oh, you're being unreasonable. I'm not, it's just fuel for the fire. By the time you're angry, your body's already told you that that's the emotional response and you're not going to want to hear a different point of view by the time you're already angry. So actually, you need to learn to, for your own sort of self-emotional governance to learn to slow yourself down in moments, to recognise, I'm feeling angry now, I'm going to name what I'm feeling, I'm feeling angry, but I have to learn to listen because I might not be right by being angry right now. Because nearly half of the time you were triggered, that's not the right emotional response. That means 50% of the time you're angry, you're wrong. Learn that now before you're angry. Because if I told you that when you're angry, you wouldn't listen to me. So by the time you are 
angry is kind of too late. So you have to, in your own life, be prepared to teach yourself this ahead of time. And the SNS stands for the sympathetic nervous system, which is that swell of stuff that's already pumping around your body, telling you, fight, run, stand your ground, whatever. And you are not open to listen to people at that point. So you have to grow in that self-awareness and prepare your mind in advance that if you are feeling angry, name it, and I'll come back to that in a moment, name how you're feeling in your own mind and then pause or train yourself to pause long enough to think, is this the right emotional response? And one of the ways you can slow that down is to ask them more questions about what they're saying or why they're saying it and then decide to be angry after you've got a fuller sense of the picture. Slow yourself down. I'm going to give you some more techniques in a moment. The second thing, other than first of all recognizing you might be wrong, is this. You need to learn your anger style. I bet you're very good at knowing everybody else's anger style. Know what triggers my wife. Know what triggers my husband. Know what triggers my son. What triggers you? There are a type of people who have a kind of a volcanic anger who are regularly bubbling over. Interestingly, from a therapist's perspective, people who have had this kind of constant anger issue have probably grown up around people with anger issues and they developed an anger issue in order to cope with the other people's anger in their own life. It's a constantly bubbling defense mechanism that has been developed through them from being in a threat environment from much of their childhood. They've had to get angry to protect themselves against somebody else's anger and they don't know how to switch it off. So recognize that when you're dealing with someone who just seems like an angry head, to use modern parlance, that actually working this thing through, you need to know that that person probably has had a problem childhood where they've grown up, no one's had proper boundaries, no one's controlled their anger, no one has developed that self-restraint or that slowing themselves down, and they've had to, for their own protection, learn to get angry all the time because they're permanently triggered all the time because they've been around somebody who is triggering them all the time. So that's often what happens with this kind of volcanic anger. There are people who are a jack-in-the-box. Now when I say this one, a number of you are going to go, yeah, I know that person. I know this person. Now the jack-in-the-box is this. It's an old toy. And you used to just, it was a, a kind of like a clown in a box or, or some other toy in a box, maybe a whatever, and you would wind it and crank it and crank it and for a while nothing would happen. And the input you're putting in would just crank and crank and crank, but then suddenly pop, out would pop the clown or whatever toy it was. And the children who were not used to go, ooh, and it suddenly bursts into their consciousness and then they feel scared and then they get your, and then it's all fun, you do it again. And so those who have this kind of jack-in-the-box anger style, the people, they're, they're, they're slowly wound up, and then a bit more wound up, and a bit more wound up, and they're stuffing it down, and they're stuffing it down, and they're telling themselves to stay calm, and they're stuffing it down, they're telling themselves to stay calm, but then somebody says something that is just that thing that breaks the camel's back, and boom, they get it. And it's been all the stuff maybe that have been winding you up all week that has nothing to do with that person, but they're the ones who are going to be in the firing line when the thing bursts out of its box. You've collected and aggregated and compounded and compacted and stuffed down all the things that have annoyed you all week. And then that person just says that one thing, looks at you in that one way. And you're like, wow, you are going to get it. 
and you unload. So that's the jack-in-the-box. I, I would hasten, I would probably bet that most of us have had a time in our lives at least once when we've been like that. Then there's the retaliatory person. This is the person who tells them, I don't suffer fools gladly, and make sure every time someone says something around them that annoys them, they whack it straight back at them. That annoys me. Bang! You can have it forehand, you can have it backhand, I'll lob it back at you. But I never listen to anybody talking foolishness around me. Now there are, you know, we all get a bit tetchy at times. But actually, we're saying that I'm not prepared to help you be the solution to your problem. I care more about kind of defending myself and hitting you back with your own problem than I do about helping you through it. Your calmness in those moments is the beginning of that person's healing journey. Because often people who are saying things and doing things without boundaries have had, never had somebody around them to have the patience to say, okay, there's going to be a line, I'm not going to let you cross, but it isn't at the first time you say something dumb to me. I'm going to listen and understand, and I'm not going to get all guarded and bristly and protective and defensive, I'm just going to listen and understand to try and find out what's going on for you right here. Because it might not be about you. You might have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now that doesn't make you a mat to walk over. It doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries or a line where you say, that's enough, okay, that's, you've crossed the line here. But often people who live like this, they're never prepared to figure out, okay, beyond what I'm trying to protect in myself here, how can I be a solution to this person's problem right now? Do I just need to listen or help them to understand what's going on? Or can I say the fact that I feel that they've crossed the line in a way that doesn't inflame the situation further, that actually de-escalates this and not escalates this? that actually through my tone of voice and through my body language, I'm going to calm this down. If you're in the police, the probation service, you have to learn to de-escalate situation. If a policeman's on the streets, every time someone gives them some of this, they go in kind of mob-handed with their batons and their whatever else, and just be blood on the streets. Sometimes you've got to think, okay, this is not about me, I can ride this out for a few moments, and let's just find out what's going on for you right now. Okay, the next uh, anger style is the heavy-weighted. So this is a kind of an inversion of anger, where our anger has been turned inward. We don't feel that we have the confidence or the self-esteem to be able to speak our mind. Maybe when we've been angry as a child, our parents have said, stop that, don't be angry, shush. They wanted peace, and what they've done is taught you to suppress an emotion that God has given you in such a way that you don't know how to communicate it appropriately. So you just stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down. And what happens is when you compact all that stuff in you and you never let some of that out, you become heavy with the weight of the sorrow that you felt as a consequence of not being able to say, I don't like that, that's hurt me, I'm angry. Because anger isn't wrong, remember. So if you just compact it and invert it and compress it down, what happens is you just walk around with this heaviness and sorrow and sadness and depression and fatigue. And in fact, there's a guy called Tim Fletcher who uh, is on a video I sent out earlier in the week to kind of prime you for this. He says actually a lot of uh, health problems in later life can be linked to people's inverted anger. What happens is because they've just carried all that stuff around and when you're carrying an anger that's not communicated, it's not resolved and while it's not resolved, it still exists. And while it's still existing, your body's still pumping cortisol, the stress hormone, into your body. 
And all you're doing is getting stressed and stressed and stressed and stressed and stressed and stressed and stressed. And that just brings inflammation into the body, which makes you potentially unwell because it affects your immune system. Some interesting science behind uh, the link between our mood and uh, the medical profession. And so now the final one is the covert angry person. They say, I don't have an anger problem. But your experience of them is that they're sarcastic, critical, avoidant, uh, they minimize your communication, they lack cooperation, and they have these micro power plays where they try and get one up on you. I'm not angry with, don't, don't, how dare you say that I'm angry? But every time they can, they want to get a little bit of one-upmanship on you and use a little kind of power play to kind of put you down and put them up. Now, they would deny they have anger, but what they would say is that, no, 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 that's just my banter. That's just my style. I'm just being a bit sarcastic. You're too tetchy. You're too defensive. You're not being sarcastic in the traditional sense. You're being anger, angry, and you're disguising it as as that in order to justify it happening. And so you're sneaking it in under the radar, covertly disguised as something else. So you get those passive aggressive types, uncooperative, like a stroppy teenager. Not angry dad, not angry. Well, can you come and help me then? No. Okay. Okay, so that's the second thing we need to do. Third thing. Learn how your relationship with anger developed. Think about this as you meditate on it through the week, maybe get the podcast, whatever. First of all, ask yourself the question, is anger positive or negative to you? Do you have a positive view of anger or a negative view of anger? I would say probably in Christian homes, if you were raised in a Christian home, you probably have a fairly negative perception of anger. That's nothing against your parents. I just think in churches where we like calm and peace and the fellowship and the brotherhood of sisterhood of church, where we all dwell together in perfect love and unity, that when people get angry, we say, no, that's wrong. You're, un you're, you're, you're a servant of Satan. Take your anger and throw it in hell. Because it's disrupting the peace. And actually what happens is in Christian homes is we think, oh, anger's wrong. And then you never have the, the strength, and a core strength, emotional core strength to be able to say no, or I don't like that, or that's wrong, or you've crossed a line, or that is, that's not right, I'm not happy with that. And maybe you feel even guilty saying some of those things. I know at times when I've had to say to somebody... I don't feel your behavior is appropriate. Everything inside me is telling me, don't say that, you'll bring about conflict. Conflict isn't wrong. I'll tell you what, if anyone tries to grab my kids, they will see conflict. <laughs> A whole lot of conflict. And there won't be anything wrong about it either. I could stop, cross a line in that conflict. But the fact there is some conflict there is not necessarily wrong. God gave you anger for an appropriate reason. It's the misuse of anger that's the problem, not the fact that you get angry that is the problem. So learn to think, is it positive or negative? Reflect how you notice people getting angry growing up. If your parents were calm, 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 and then they flipped then you might be that jack-in-the-box person because implicitly to you, you're going, okay, I have to calm, soak it up, calm, soak it up, and then I can't do that anymore. 
bang, jack-in-the-box pops and out comes the anger. So think about how anger developed for you as you grew up, because that will probably be a style that you're emulating or you are avoiding. Um, what are your triggers and buttons to press? Most of you will probably know that. I don't mind you saying this, but when you say that, you've gone too far. I don't mind you doing this, but when you do that, you go too far. But figure out what those triggers are, because if you don't name your triggers, you won't know to be able to control your anger, because anger, as I said earlier, happens in the body before you have chance to compute what's going on. So by the time you're angry, it's already been justified in your mind, and then you're not teachable, and then you can't de-escalate it. So if you learn what your triggers are now, you know what those buttons are now, you know, okay, they're gonna press this button, I can sense it coming on, so now I need to think, don't react, calm myself down, and then I can manage this more appropriately. Learn what are the triggers of other people and why they do it, why do those triggers frustrate you? Maybe you're one of those 50% of the times you're wrong. And what they're doing isn't really a trigger. You're calling it a trigger because you want to justify being angry about it. But actually what they're doing is fairly reasonable. Don't confuse the fact that you're angry with the fact that you're right to be angry. How would you prefer people to express anger to you? And how would you want others to receive your anger? This is great relationship advice. People are going to get angry. But negotiate beforehand how that anger is used in relationships. If you've come from a, a background of trauma, then you may be particularly sensitive to when voices begin to be raised, someone seems visibly agitated, you're feeling defensive, scared, and wanting to run. And so if you have a person in your life, close to you, spouse or whatever, friend, and they're the type of person who just is unfiltered, no boundaries, and they start to get agitated about every little thing, you're gonna find there are problems because the way that they get angry goes against the way that you get angry and you'll never resolve conflict because you haven't learned the style of the other person. You need to educate yourself about how that person gets angry and why they get angry that way and also learn whether you feel that is right or wrong. Final thing here, role play proper use in its imaginary scenarios. If I'm counseling someone with an anger issue, as I said many times through this session, don't wait to the, the point when you're angry to try and work through your anger issues. Begin to role play in advance what you would do when such and such happens. When you role play it in your mind enough times you would do it more by instinct when the moment arises. There was an interesting study some years ago about a plane crash that happened um, on one of the islands of, I think it was Tenerife, off the, off kind of one of the Spanish-run islands off the coast of Africa. And in this plane crash, there were people on the plane who the second the crash happened were unbuckling themselves and making for the exits and they escaped. And there were people who were sat there, stunned, trying to figure out what's going on, thinking, okay, trying to calm themselves. Oh, maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe I just need to wait. And because they waited for over a minute and a half inside their seats, they died in the fire that consumed them. The people who went out, 
straight away were saved, and the people who waited in their seats to think about it and ponder what was going on, they burned. Now that might be kind of a depressing scenario, but in some studies later on they found that people who responded early had, were already the types of people who were planning ahead what they would do in an emergency before the emergency happened. They'd get on the plane and go, where are the emergency exits? Oh, oh if this thing ever came down, what would I do? Oh, where, where am I sat on the plane? How would I get my kids out of here? It's people who plan in advance who respond by instinct in the moment. It's people who dismiss all that kind of stuff who have to take the time to compose themselves and think. And there are occasions when that has a wisdom to it. But there are other times when it leaves you vulnerable. So you have to practice in advance what you're going to do. Right, let's bring this into land up in long enough. The last two slides quickly. Some more stuff about managing it, uh, anger from the Bible. Next one, there we go. A gentle, answer deflects, a gentle answer deflects anger, but a harsh word makes tempers flare. This is the de-escalation thing here, Proverbs 15.1. If someone's angry with you, their emotion does not need to make you feel you have to respond any certain way. You are in control of your emotions at all times. There is not a scenario that exists where you are not in control of your... Jesus showed it on the cross. Crucified. Unjustly so. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The loss of felt choice is not the same as the loss of real choice. The loss of felt choice is not the same as the loss of real choice. Don't mirror their behaviour. Model the behaviour. Okay, pride leads to conflict, but those who take advice are wise, okay? So people who are prideful tend to be those who be, are more kind of uh, um, like to have conflict. So deal with your pride, you deal with the conflict. Um, what is causing f fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from evil desires that rage within you? James 4 verse 1. What the writer James is saying here, that sometimes the quarreling and the strife is a result of a selfishness that exists within the human soul. They're getting something I wanted. I deserve that. That should have been mine. This person was asked to preach and I wasn't asked to. Lots of stuff. And what happens is that it can be right, but just don't assume that you are right. And think about how you are going to model your process of that rather than react to the situation as it's presented to you. Okay, going on very quickly. In your anger, don't sin. We know that one. I expect most people in here. This is an interesting one, the last one here. If someone has a hot temper, let him or her, the NIV before we had nice gender inclusive language, uh, take the consequences. If you get them out of trouble once, you'll have to do it again. Set boundaries around people in your world who don't know boundaries themselves and put themselves into bother all the time. If you try and bail them out, bail them out, and bail them out and protect them, all that's going to happen is you're going to get caught up in their conflict. They won't learn the lessons. Set boundaries with people who don't set boundaries for themselves. And when you do that, you're helping them and helping you. Final thing, here, here we are with this little hand. I'll explain how the hand works. So the wrist here on this picture, there's a picture for those listening back on the podcast of a hand. And I'm now pointing to the wrist. This is the brain stem represented in the wrist. That's where the nerves go up into the back, into the back of your brain and begin to tell your head what to do next. 
what to do next. And then it comes to the amygdala, which is this little, uh, represented by the thumb, which actually sits in the middle kind of part of the brain, wrapped around by other parts of your brain. And that amygdala is going to tell you whether this is a threat response here and what we need to do next. I also mentioned earlier that there's a part of the brain called the hypothalamus which begins to secrete all the hormones that you need to respond. So how do we manage this thing in the point of the brain? Now imagine your hand around the amygdala, that's the bit there is going fight, 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 run, 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 fight, 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 run, 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 speak your mind, speak your mind, punch them in the face. First thing you do is you breathe. You breathe. This is part of what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic is the bit that's responding to the emotional triggers. The parasympathetic is what's working alongside that in order to calm yourself down and manage the situation. And breathing is a great way to learn to calm yourself down. Now imagine I'm, in a, I'm in having a little bit of a conflict with, with, with Colin here. He's saying, Man United are the best. And I'm saying, no, Liverpool are the best. He's saying, no, Man United's the best. And then I go, I'm just calming myself down. <laughs> you might be with your spouse this week and you're talking to them and they go, Oh, you've been triggered, have you? <laughs> I'll give you triggered. Breathing has been shown scientifically to be one of the best ways to begin to calm yourself down. In, hold, release. In, hold, release. In, hold, release. It's called box breathing. Okay. Name it. What are you feeling? This is the bit after you've begun to breathe. What is it you're feeling? Okay, yes, I'm angry. We know that, but... Why are you angry? I'm angry because I don't like the way that you said it. I don't like what you said. I don't like when you said it. Or I don't like the fact that you're the hundredth person this week to say. Name it, identify it, and quarantine it in your brain. Take every thought captive. And only let out the captivity, those things which are appropriate according to God's word. You take every thought captive. If it's not right, leave it captive. Don't let it out. Put the keys in your pocket. Name it. Identify it. Quarantine it. Think about it. Reflect upon it. Is this person right here, right now, they just needing to let off some steam and I'm going to make it worse by firing back at them the fact that I don't like them letting off steam because they're now triggering me when really what I need to learn is the composure and the calm to help them work this through and then deal with the reasons like in terms of to stop it happening again after the fact because you're not going to coach them in the moment of tension. Afterwards, that's when you can work these things through. Self-talk is helpful, calm myself down, what do I want to model here? Do I want to be the godly person here? Am I getting defensive? What do I need to do to compose myself right now? Is my body language doing the right thing? My eye contact the right thing? Is my tone of voice the right thing? Talking yourself through. Final thing, honesty in the opposite spirit. You can say things that are 
potentially challenging as long as the spirit that you're trying to achieve is not the same spirit that comes against you. I'm not using that in its kind of necessarily sort of demonic Holy Spirit sense. What I'm using the word spirit therefore to describe is the kind of attitude and spirit that something is said towards you come at that from the opposite uh, angle. If someone's coming at you in a blind rage, then saying, I'm going to come in a spirit of calm. If someone's coming with a spirit of pride, then I'm going to come in a spirit of humility. If someone's coming at me with a, you know, a, a spirit of arrogance, again, I'm going to come with humility. Figure out what is going on for that person, because what you want to do is to learn to disciple them through this by the thing that you model to them. There are times when you might say, enough's enough, they're not responding to my modeling, I need to say stop, okay, we need to talk about this later, or I need to just leave this here right now, I'm sorry you feel like that, or we're just gonna, this is going to get worse, and walk away. You can defend yourself, there can be lines that you say to people, do not cross, anger is not wrong, God gave you it for that person, but he also gave you the capacity to be able to control it in such a way that is godly. So when it comes into your brain, starts to trigger that part of your brain that's emotional, breathe, name, think, respond appropriately, and then learn from it for next time. What you need to do next, let's pray. I've not been short today, it's been a bit of a, a big one to handle, but I didn't want to feel like I'd just given you so little, I hadn't really given you anything. But if we learn to manage our anger, we will become more productive people and we will have healthier relationships. And I'm sure every one of us, myself included, can go away from this today into next week thinking through some scenarios where you can begin to make a real difference to your life and relationships by appropriating some of these scriptural principles. Never apologize for the fact that you get angry. Just learn to manage the elephant in a way that is constructive. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given anger for our benefit, that we can face up to injustice and guard those things we value and set boundaries. And we ask that you help us by your spirit to learn where we're doing that in the right way and the moments we're doing that in the wrong way. I pray that this week you will help us to be able to manage ourselves in moments of tension so that we can learn to de-escalate, not escalate the problem. Through a different choice of words, a different tone of voice, a different kind of body language, just a different package of response and is in a different spirit to what we meet. That we rise above situations, we don't respond in kind. Amen. <laughs>